Good evening. How are we doing tonight? Good, good, good. Uh, a couple of announcements this week. Uh, no mind next week. We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving uh, and take the, the week off for next week. And so no mind next week. And then we also have um, uh, prayer teams that are available. And when you have a prayer request, please, please, please email the office um, and they will... Uh, they will get back with you on that prayer request. Um, you can also write out prayer requests with the cards that are in front of you and drop them off. There's booths back there, our little tower things, and you can drop those off in there. They do take those requests seriously, and they love, love, love praying for you guys. And so please remember, no mind next week. And then also, um, whenever you have a prayer request, a need, please let the mind be a place where you can... Uh, let, let us know about that. We'd be glad to help you out with that by talking with you or praying with you, etc. Um, how many of, how many were here Sunday, Sunday night or Sunday morning? I mean, hey, excuse me, Greg. Okay. Um, Hello, Greg, see, we got a question already. Could you repeat a question? Mike. Where's Mike? It's a very special day today. And we were wondering if you could help us figure out what uh, today is. Uh, nope. I don't know. You can't, you don't know what today is? Wow. It really is bright up here. Well, oh, they're, they're a step ahead of me. Okay, let's do it. Take your Bibles out. Let's turn to James chapter 1. Thank you very much. Thank you. I should have had these candles going ahead of time, but actually, this is not a birthday cake. This is a birthday pie. We, we found out via the internet that uh, lemon meringue pie is your favorite. I enjoy lemon meringue pie. Do you really? That, absolutely. I'm just kidding. We didn't find out from the internet. I do enjoy Somebody it. Somebody told us, but yeah. that's our little no, secret. Thank you so much. Um, we had a hard time with it that we were going to try to write on it, <laughs> but meringue is a little bit difficult there. So anyway, thank make you your wish, much. blow out your yeah. candles, and we'll... Here we go. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks. See, that was... Yep. Yep. Big 3-0 today, so I'm excited. Wow. Cheap candles. These were supposed to come back on again. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Appreciate Mike. it. Thank, Thank you, you very much. On behalf of all of us, happy birthday, yeah. buddy. Thank you. Uh-huh. It's a great way to... Uh, thanks. Yeah, it's a great way to celebrate my birthday. It's... Um, I've never celebrated it like this with so many of us here. So thank you for coming to my birthday party. Um, If you were here Sunday, uh, Pastor Lynn, uh, isn't it amazing how without Pastor Lynn and I really tracking with each other in terms of what are you going to be speaking on? Well, what are you going to be speaking on? And let's coordinate that. And sometimes we can get too ahead of God in that where we say, okay, God, we're going to go this way and the mind's going to teach this and Sunday mornings. And but rather, I think in God's in God's wonderful uh, imagination and creativity, God says, listen, I'm going to take some things that we're teaching at the mine and some things that we're teaching on Sunday mornings, and we're just going to kind of throw them all together and see what comes out of it. And I'm listening on Sunday morning. I'm thinking, that's exactly what we need to be hearing as we come and engage on Tuesdays. I love what Pastor Lynn said about the parable of the, of the soil and the seeds. And what really struck me was when he talked about this idea of... Um, uh, you know, most of us would say, okay, I'm in that last category there of the good soil. But notice what happens to that good soil. Some produce 30-fold, some produce 60-fold, right? And he said some produce 100-fold. And really the challenge for me as I left on uh, Sunday morning wanting to be fearless, uh, especially, you know, starting a, a new year of my life, 
I really, I really concluded, God, I, I, I don't want to settle for 30-fold. I mean, I don't want to even settle for 60-fold. Um, I think Pastor Lynn said something to the issue of, um, you know, and, and part of living the Christian life is that you would teach your kids and that they would do bigger and greater things than you and I would do. And, and that's all good. I, you know, that's, I, I look forward to having my kids do some amazing things that, that I just won't be able to do. But that doesn't mean that I have to sat, be satisfied with 60-fold or, or 30-fold. But why can't you and I, why can't we be shooting for a hundred? And so whatever that area is in your life, whatever that thing is, that 10%, if you will, why can't we just start uh, a new year, a new day, and say, God, here's, here's that 10%. Here's the thing that's keeping me at 30-fold. Here's the thing that's keeping me at 60-fold. And God, I want to give it over to you even today. Why are we waiting? Uh, I know Lynn mentioned um, 2013 and let's, you know, let's all gear up. But you know what? Honestly, guys, when I heard that, I kind of thought in my flesh, I thought, oh, I got another six weeks. You know, I got another six weeks to live out that 10% that, you know, is really just kind of, woo. And then, and then I turned, uh, turned another year old and uh, older and... And then it kind of dawned on me why, you know, God in his grace has given me yet maybe one more year to live. Why wait? Why wait till January? Uh, Maybe you're in that same position. Maybe as you've heard us talk through the book of James so far, maybe you're arriving at the same conclusion, which is, you know what, God, deep down inside, truthfully, whether I'm 15 or 50 or 75, I'm I'm not satisfied with where I'm at right now. Uh, There's a, there's a yearning. Um, I love, I love that last song we sang. There's a restlessness in my soul, in my heart. And it's only in you, God, do I find that rest. But maybe God is saying, but you're ultimately only going to find that rest when we deal with these areas in your life. And, and the person sitting next to you might not even know what they are. But you know what they are. I know what mine are. So, so why can't today be the day? Why can't, why can't maybe what we're talking about in this series be the time where we just admit in, in the in the quietness of our time with God alone, hey God, this is what my deal is. This is what's keeping me from being a hundredfold. And I don't know, God, if you're going to give me another month, another year, another 10 years. But I definitely desire, Father, to, to finish well. I definitely desire for those last three weeks of my life, those last three months, those last three years, those last 30 years, to be, to, to, to be a hundredfold, to, to finish well. So we look at the we look at times like we're talking about here on Tuesday nights, and we look at well, what what have we been talking about? What what have we been discussing? And we're in chapter two. We we reached chapter two amazingly tonight. We start chapter two, and so you might want to flip over there. And, and as we get started, kind of recap what we've talked about for the past five, six, seven weeks. Uh, we looked at this idea of persevering through trials and, and what distinguishes maybe a Christian from a non-Christian. It's that idea that trials are going to come to both people. But maybe the believer has this, this ability to say, it's above and beyond me, God. I can't get through this without your help. And so I'm praying for wisdom. And when we pray for wisdom, we pray in faith for that. And God says, that's what I delight. I delight when my children ask me in faith to deliver them wisdom. And I will do that. And we looked at this idea of being satisfied with wherever I'm at economically, whether I'm poor or rich, I can be humble or uh, humble in my, in my wealth and I can be um, proud, if you will, in my poorness and my poverty because I'm giving all the credit either way to God. Uh, we looked at this idea of when God, 
when God uh, is, is doing his thing, we have to trust that it's his infinite will, his, his unchanging character that is above ours, and, and, and we don't tell God what to do. And so God is unchanging, and God loves to bless his children, but when sin comes our way, we don't want to blame God and shift blame and deflect and say, well, I couldn't help it, or it's your fault, or you led me down this path where God can't be tempted. But God is unchanging. God's here no matter our circumstances. And often our flesh will get the best of us. And God says when that happens, own up to it. Don't try to deflect it on other people or me or own it. And let's get back on track. And then last week or the past two weeks, we've been talking about this issue of what does it look like for me to have a live faith? What does it look like for me to have a live faith? Maybe versus a dead faith. We listed some characteristics of what a believer's life should look like. And we kind of checked ourselves against that. Is my life looking somewhat like this? Or is it maybe kind of falling into, into this? And what, what should I do about it? And so we arrive again at chapter 2 with this idea of, I hope we're looking at the, the book of James not so much like this is something I do on Tuesdays. But even if I miss a couple of Tuesdays, I can still find myself in the book of James in the quietness of my own home in the quietness of my work cubicle and say, God, teach me out of the book of James. It's no different. He's not going to, 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 uh, to neglect you because you don't come here on Tuesdays. Um, but rather, he's going to teach you. But we're just doing this in, in maybe a larger setting. And so we arrive at chapter 2, and we find this very interesting characteristic of God. Uh, we find this characteristic of God being impartial. And we really don't talk about that a whole lot. But when we boil it down to, well, what does it mean for God to be impartial? We conclude that God is in this business, guys, of loving people unconditionally. Now, track with me on this because this is a very hard concept for us to grasp. God says, no matter your race, no matter your gender, no matter your economic status, no matter your intellect, no matter your education, no matter your wealth, I will draw you unto me, and when I do that, I will love you unconditionally. It's not based on any of those things. It's based on me initiating with you and telling you that I will love you no matter what. And the reason we struggle with that is because we don't love like that. We don't give love like that, nor do we receive love like that. Even, can I dare say, even from our spouses. We're, we're, we try, but boy, we walk through life, don't we? We walk through life with prejudices. And, and I don't know where you got yours from. Uh, maybe it was the, the region of the country you grew up in. Maybe it was your nuclear family and what mom and dad believed, and it just kind of made its way down to you. Maybe it was because of your education, and you were taught by some teachers or professors, this is the way we think about this people group or this class of people, or I don't know where yours came from, but we all struggle with, with, you know, let's get out of the word prejudice, I guess, but maybe playing favorites. We all struggle with, with favoritism. And God comes along and says, here's what you need to know about me. I'm impartial to those whom I love. Which means this, guys, and this is what kind of shook me a little bit as I was studying this. God loves the rich person unconditionally right where they're at he loves them as they drive around in their hummer or lexus or maserati or whatever they drive in 
He loves them when they get on their private jet and spend $5,000 a gallon for fuel to fly to have breakfast over in Orange County. He loves them. He loves them unconditionally when they buy their kids, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of Christmas presents. He loves them unconditionally. And, he, and it doesn't change based on their habits, based on their lifestyle, based on where they live. It doesn't change. It doesn't change based on the fact that they can spend all of their time in the elite status at the country clubs and kind of, and kind of you know, tip their nose to, 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 to other people. It doesn't change. He loves them unconditionally. And God loves the poor person unconditionally. He loves them right where they're at. There's nothing they're going to do or they have to do or have to say or have to look or have to, 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 to live in a certain place. He loves them just as they are. And while I think that you and I could, could hear that statement and agree with it, I'm not sure we fully get it. Because one of those two groups, or substitute rich and poor with, with brown or black or white or, or, um, or west coast, east coast, southern, Texan, um, no-cal, so-cal, replace it with anything. And the conclusion is going to be the same, which is pick any group of people. If God brings them into himself, he is going to love that person unconditionally. And the reason I think James makes a big deal out of it, well, two reasons. One is, it was happening back in that day that James found himself amongst a class of people that were getting preferential treatment. 2,100 years ago, it was happening back then where you would get preferential treatment dependent solely on your socioeconomic status. And so I think James brings it to our attention. We looked at this a few weeks ago in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 or so, and we're revisiting it again today because James revisits it. And he says, in case I didn't make myself clear in chapter 1, let me readdress the issue here. So I think that's one reason why uh, why we're going to look at it today. But the second reason is life on earth is brief. And if you are a believer in Jesus, the majority of your existence rests in a place called heaven. And heaven has no class system. It has no neighborhoods. It has no... Um, countries, if you will. It has no regions of heaven. I don't believe that you and I will die and find ourselves in heaven in the, in the uh, middle class Caucasian region, if that's what you are. I don't think you and I are going to die and find ourselves in heaven with only English speaking people, if that's what we are. In fact, I've sat up late at night thinking, how do you do it, God? How do you take people from every walk of life, every era of life, and put us all together in one place called heaven, and not only will we coexist, but we will have an incredible, unconditional love for each other? How does that even work? On the language level alone, how does that work? I only speak one language, and, and I took four years of French, and I can't speak a lick of it. Thank you, ASU. 
So, so how does that work? How does that work if, if I die and the guy next to me, maybe on the plane or whatever, the, you know, the vehicle we die in, he's, he's fluent in French. And we both die and go to heaven. And somehow, guys, God has figured that out. But I think what James wants to remind us, this side of heaven is if you and I can begin to work on our impartiality, this side of heaven, I think the transition is going to be a whole lot easier. When you have to wake up and I have to wake up for an eternity with people that we may or may not, just by their skin color or socioeconomic status or intellect, get along with right now. And so this is going to be a little bit of a, of a heart-to-heart, I guess, for some people, for me and for you, um, if, if that's where you're at. Because, again, you're not, gonna, you're not going to raise your hand and you're not going to shout out, here's who I don't like. So, so we're not going to go there, but you know in your heart, truth be told, I just, I don't like old people. I just don't. Uh, you, you, uh, you may be sitting next to someone that you don't like right now. You didn't want to sit next to them, but they sat down next to you and you're thinking, oh, geez, are you kidding me? Really? You may not like little, you may not like the little ones. Like, like, like death to you would be working in the children's program. You would dread Sunday mornings. Every Sunday, I got to work with these guys. I used to substitute first graders. I teach high schoolers. I love it. I can't work with these guys. I substituted once and the lady wrote out, you know, you guys that teach these guys, you write, your lesson plans are, are horrendously specific. 1031, nap time, 1035, cookies, 1036, make sure, you know, no peanut allergy. I mean, the whole thing and high school is, you know, substitute, play videotape, you know, just let them literally when when we when i sub for first graders and and I, you you hand them off for gym or whatever or recess time i came back to the room and laid down on the floor for 20 minutes i was so worn out it was like 10 in the morning and i said god you know what are you doing of course in god's great humor i got a job as an associate pastor at a church and one of my jobs was to teach first graders for a year for on sunday mornings and God was trying to show me, Greg, you don't have to, you don't have to, um, you, you know, they don't have to be your favorites. But you can't play favorites either. Or else heaven's just going to blow your mind with the, with the beautiful kaleidoscope that's going to exist in heaven. And I don't think often you and I think about it like that. I really do think in, our, in, in, in the depths of our heart and maybe in, the, in our naivety and in our ignorance, we think, no, heaven's going to be pretty much like my cul-de-sac or heaven's going to be pretty much like Chandler. And I, I think that heaven is going to really rock your world. I've often thought about Leanne in heaven. I think, you know, I wonder how many people she's talked to from like the 15th century or the Renaissance period or, uh, you know, 200 AD. I wonder how many people she's conversed with. I wonder how many, she was a nurse. I wonder how many nurses uh, she has, uh, you know, kibitzed with over the years uh, because they nursed in the 1700s and they're amazed at the technology in the 21st century. And she's amazed that they could even do nursing in the 1700s. I, you know, I just wonder that. Pretty amazing thing. So I think that's part of why we're studying the book of James and why James brings it to our attention. 
um, I throw the PowerPoint up. Um, I just want to highlight, I guess, in, in case the book of James doesn't do it for us, here are some verses about how God is impartial. Um, we find in Deuteronomy, in Acts, in Romans, uh, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality, nor does he take a bribe. Acts chapter 10, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. And then Romans 2, Paul just makes it clear there is no partiality with God. And then he says, here's your responsibility. Here's my responsibility. You shall do no injustice in judgment. This is back in Leviticus. You shall not be partial to the poor nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Solomon says in Proverbs, these are also the sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judgment is not good. We know that clearly, okay? So this isn't just James's idea. We show this throughout the book of James. Um, and yet... Interestingly enough, I've heard this comment, maybe you've heard this comment, and I'd like your feedback on it. Someone once said the most segregated time in America is Sunday mornings. The most segregated time in America is Sunday mornings. Now, let's just say for the sake of argument that we agree with that. Let's just say overall across America we agree with that. Why, why would that be? And, and let's not talk... Um, you know, like, well, that exists elsewhere, so I have no comment on that. But let's just kind of open up just a little bit. Why would the most segregated time in our country possibly be on Sunday mornings? Why is that? If we just read passages like this, and that's preached, be impartial, be impartial, be impartial, why might that be true? What do you think? So I know on Sunday, on Sunday morning, we get together in our small groups, it's all based either on age or on a particular situation, which is kind of what you're getting at. Okay, so, so the reason for that is because we're familiar with it. It's, well, I, think that's, I agree with that, but I'm asking why. Why is that? Why does it need to be like that? I think it's that way because we're, we are familiar with it, and that's where we are in our stage of life in this, in this brief time on earth, whatever that happens to be. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I believe that we're segregated because of our belief system. Give me a little bit more than that. Um, like the things that we might believe in. The reasons religion has split up and, and created their own. People, for instance, no offense against Catholic, I was raised Catholic, but you can go sin all week, and then we go to confession, we go out and whoop it up again. Yeah. So we like that belief system. Uh, yeah, okay, I, I, okay, I understand now. And, and we even would take that even one step further because I, I love the diversity in the local church, mega church, small church, Baptist, Methodist. But the downside to that is, is we really do lock ourselves into... And we won't say this too often, but if you don't go here like I do, I'm not sure you really get it fully, right? We, we kind of have that met mindset. Um, I remember when I first started dating Leanne 16 years ago, um, she grew up very, very staunch Lutheran. And, and uh, you know, thank goodness I kind of made inroads because I grew up Baptist. But there was a little bit of a, of a learning curve there. Um, you know, like, well, why wouldn't she just continue to date Lutherans? Uh, why wouldn't I just continue to date Baptists? And, and yeah, and so there's that, 
we're all believers. Yeah, but you're not a, you're not a Baptist. You're not a, a Lutheran. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Was there another one over here? Yeah. I, I think um, sometimes there's, the division is caused by almost a pride, even if we don't realize it, because, um, and I'm not saying this applies for, you know, all, all church members or even half of it, you know, it really depends. But sometimes I think, especially when we're, we've just become Christians, there's almost this, I don't really know what to call it, but it's, it's, it's like we view ourselves as above, say, the non-believer. Sure, yeah, is, it's, yeah, it's a club. Yeah. Yeah. And we say family. Yeah. It sounds less <laughs> offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the family. Um, I get that, I guess, but, and, and I guess I want to include or add to that. Okay. But once we're in the family, why doesn't all the family worship together? Don't you find that churches are, are very segregated? I believe it's because of different uh, doctrine. I mean, every different church has just different doctrine, and they okay, have believed different things. Yeah, so. that's true, but let me push back on that a little bit. Do you guys know what the doctrine of this church is? Like, every doctrine of this church? Have you read the statement of faith? Have you met with the elders, and have you questioned them about the, the doctrinal issues? I mean, I, I know of one church here in the valley that kind of wears their doctrine on their sleeve. Like, you can't be a member unless you sign off on their doctrine. And it's a specific um, swath of cloth, if you will, that, that, yes, they're believers, but they're specific kinds of believers, if you will, right. doctrinally. That's the only church in the valley I know that does that. Most churches in the valley say, if you want to be a member of our church, here's what you need to believe. The Bible's authoritative. God created the world. Jesus died for your sins, right? And, and we do communion once a month. I don't know, you know, whatever the, the fourth one is. And so, so I, I wonder if that's exactly true. Like, we're segregated because of our doctrine. I, I think some denominations are like that. But look at the, look at the churches here in the valley, okay? Yeah. Sun Valley, um, Redemption, Cornerstone, Mission. Um, I've gone to all of those. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. I've gone to all of them, so, yeah. Would you say this, and this is a dangerous statement, would you say this, that I could go to any one of those four churches and relatively speaking, minus a few chairs here or there or whatever, feel like I'm in the same service? Yes. Okay. Absolutely, because I've gone to, we've gone to all four of those churches and spent quite a bit of time in all of them. Sure, right. And And I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing at all. But would you also say this then? This is a certain kind of church style. And, and I'm not saying that's bad necessarily, but it is a certain kind of style that maybe does segregate people, um, let's say socioeconomically. I mean, really, in Redemption, here, Sun Valley, and Mission, off the top of my head, would you say that there is a certain level of socioeconomic status here? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Again, I'm not, you know, pointing fingers. I'm just saying if we looked at the landscape of those four churches, all big churches. Yes. Doing great things for the Lord. Right. All of them doing incredible things. Hundreds of people getting saved every year. 
You don't see many poor people going to those okay, churches. Okay, yeah, uh, thank you for saying that. You don't that. see uh, you know, know. poor people walking in or people getting bussed in from poor neighborhoods. You know, you, you see, uh, you know, SUVs and uh, Mercedes. And Not only that, but location-wise, right? Yeah. I mean, location-wise, right. you, know, uh, you know, we're probably the closest to, to downtown, if you will. Right. Um, and again, nothing wrong with that. But right. is it a bit segregated? Yeah, I think you, maybe. I think you you may. Be um, right. Pilgrim's Rest Baptist Church, 14th and and Washington ish. I had some of my students go there last week, and again, I think my high school is somewhat segregated. Um, if I could just be honest with you, A great high school, everyone loved Jesus. And when I say that, I'm not saying intentionally. So hear me clearly. I'm not saying that I don't think we're intentionally segregated here. But intentional or unintentional, right? And so I look at my high school, and so I said to my kids, go anywhere where you don't currently go to church and visit, you know, just to experience something different. So a number of my kids go to uh, Pilgrim's Rest Baptist Church. 98, 99% African-American. Um, yeah. And, and I've been on church staffs, guys. I know it's complicated. I know logistically it's more than just, well, just take a bus and bring them over. And it, it, it involves the whole dynamic of the church. It involves the whole culture of the church. Um, and I, and this, I don't want to get into a discussion necessarily on, um, on that per se. Uh, but but I, I did raise the question, do we as a nation practice maybe even subconsciously segregation on Sunday mornings? And I think to this point that was made here, I think we do do it. And I think the reason we do it is because we're comfortable doing it. Because I like being around people that get me, honestly. I mean, I'll just bear my soul tonight. It's easier for me to be around people that, that know what you know, postgraduate education is or know what a D1 school is or know what, you know, middle income is or know what a double income family is or know what, you know, direct TV is and the NFL package. And it's easier for me to do that. Um, but here's the big question. Is that right? Because it's easy. Um, yeah, there, someone just started talking. So I have a verse to share. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Because we are the body of Christ, after all. You're not going to find... It's a great verse, great passage. And you're not going to find any passages that refute that and again like i said guys this is this, you know hopefully the local church is a small taste of heaven in terms of god's design for the local church is to say when you get together with a body of believers envision just this on a much grander scale of heaven because this is what heaven is is the body of christ pulling together and functioning together, even if you take our small population here, we do have an age, very a variation in ages here. And yet if I were to say something like, okay, break into small groups tonight and talk about, you know, we would gravitate towards typically our stage of life. I think it's just a natural thing for us to do. Okay, I want to read scripture here, so go ahead. Oh, yep. So... 
I'm not sure that the verse that he read necessarily means that what we do is wrong all the time because if you needed counseling or something, you would go to someone who has knowledge of that area or has been through something like that. You wouldn't go to a 20-year-old adult to talk about getting a divorce when you're 50. I mean, they just can't relate to you in any way. So yeah, I'm not I sure agree that with that, but, but we got to be wrong. real careful with that because if my mentality is, excuse me, I got to wait for the right person to show up. The, the flip side of that is if we stay in our thing, whatever that thing is, um, then maybe, just maybe, that person that I never thought of that could offer me the wisdom or encouragement or counsel that I need isn't available to come into our circle because just unintentionally, they feel left out. So possibly, maybe that 20-year-old does have wisdom. And I'm not saying, and I am saying that, yes, of course, you know, I look for someone that you know, there is wisdom, obviously, the scriptures say, with silver hair. And there, there comes a great deal of that just because of stage of life and they've been through a lot. So wouldn't it be a tragedy? How many times, and guys, again, I've been on staffs where we've tried this, so I'm not saying it's easy. But how many times do we set up our small group system by stage of life only? And the downside, the upside to that is, man, and I've been through it. I was in young couples, I was in young marrieds, and then we all start having kids, and we go through a stage of life, and it's all great. But how many times maybe did one of us, when we're newlyweds, would we have wished to have met with an older couple that had been through the, this isn't their first rodeo, and they've been through marriage for a few decades, and they could come alongside some newlyweds and say, oh my gosh, you're about to make a huge, huge mistake here. But rather, when the six couples got together and we're all young 20s, we're just the blinds leading the blind in this thing. And then we'd break up. Guys would go. Girls would go. You know, and the guys sit around. They're like, well, how are you doing? I don't know. How are you doing with your marriage? I don't know. How are you doing? I don't know what I'm doing. And maybe wouldn't it be, well, could it have been helpful maybe? But that's uncomfortable to sit around with an older couple. Like, I don't know what they're going to talk about. And so that's the problem. And so we go stage of life. I know of only a few churches that have worked hard at getting out of that. And what they do is actually they go by geographic region. If you live in this area around this high school, that's your small group. Yeah, but I'm single. I'm going to meet with, you know, a couple and then a, you know, a single parent and a young, you know, college. That's your, that's your group. And I'm not saying it's without problems, but I do like the idea that we're bringing the entire body of Christ together and not just, well, I can only be around couples because I'm a couple. Um, okay, James chapter 2, yep. I just had a real quick question. When you were talking about like segregation within you know, the church, how he was talking about redemption, yeah. uh, you know, went out, how do you even make that any different? Because I'd feel very uncomfortable going to a church in inner city Phoenix where I knew nobody and I walked in and I was you know, the, the minority there. So how are we supposed to make someone else feel comfortable? I mean, that's maybe a call to the church to do so, but you know, how, how do you do that to, to make people feel more comfortable to come here where they're not? Right. And so this is experiential knowledge only. The wisdom I'm offering is you got to get over being uncomfortable. I just don't know how, I don't know what to tell you, but you, we have to get out of well, I'm just, I'm uncomfortable in that location. Tough. I mean, we're all uncomfortable. I don't say, I'm not pointing at you necessarily. I hope you hear me. But I'm saying that that is often our answer is, like I just said, this is comfortable. 
Why? Because people dress like I do and they talk like I do and they have little kids that run around like my little kids. And, and quite honestly, can I just bear my soul here? A lot of them look like my kids and that makes me comfortable. Um, I don't have to worry when I drop my kids off here. I just drop them off and I just, you know. But part of that is because I, it looks kind of familiar. So yeah, you're right. Drop me off in downtown Phoenix uh, and, and put me in a, in, a, in a Salvation Army church down there. I'm a fish out of water. But, but here's the reality. How many people in your neighborhood are really scrambling right now to put a roof over their head? You may be in massive debt and you're not telling anyone, but that's different than living on the street. And so I don't know too many people in my neighborhood out in Southeast Gilbert that are living on the street, that are living on my street corner. So, so it's just easy for me to say, I'll give some money and they can go and, and do it themselves. And maybe, maybe that's okay, but maybe God is also saying, is that all? Is that all we're doing? Um, here, if we have... Um, if we have the PowerPoint again, just, just real quickly, guys, um, here's what the homeless landscape looks like then in, in our country. 600,000 are experiencing homeless, uh, 20,000, 200,000 are in families, 50,000 youth are experiencing long-time homelessness. Okay, so here in Arizona then, 14,000 in Arizona experience homelessness, and you say 30% of those are children and teens. Um, 43% of the children living in homeless families are under the six. 20% of homeless are, are vets. We can't ignore it. We, we can't play it like, as long as we have an extension ministry going to do the work, we're good here. I, I just don't think that, that that's God's heart. In fact, I, I'm pretty confident it's not. So what does that mean? We don't have churches like Cornerstone? No, we do have churches like Cornerstone. But I think our mentality needs to be anyone who walks through these doors is welcome here at Cornerstone. I don't care what they look like, smell like, act like. They are welcome here. And I'm not saying by any stretch, guys, they're not welcome here. But I want us to do a gut check tonight and really just honestly say, would you feel welcome here if you didn't look and act and dress and like most of us look and act and dress like in here? Now, does that mean you need to change your wardrobe? No, I haven't changed my wardrobe. But that means if someone comes in with a different wardrobe, I need to give them a big old hug. And I need to welcome them and embrace them. And, and they may come in and say, you know what? I'm not a big fan of this style of music. Well, at that point, then we say, I'm sorry, this is the style we do. There's, there's a country style down the street. You know, there's a, I don't know what to tell you. So I'm not saying that we need to cater to everyone, but I am saying that everyone that comes through these doors right off the 202 here needs to be welcome. And so I'm just asking the question tonight. Do we make people feel welcome here or do we play favorites? Watch this in Jameson real quick. Uh, can I just want to say something really quick? Um, <laughs> yeah. I went to um, St. Louis, Missouri this weekend um, and uh, for a concert. And uh, Sunday came around, and I'm like, okay, I have to find a church. And I found myself Googling, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not familiar with Baptist style or, or some of these other ones. So I found myself looking specifically for um, Christian church. And I found one, and um, it was just this tiny little church. Yeah. And um, I completely stood out. And um, 
and it was very traditional. And the minute I sat down, people came up to me and they said, obviously, you're not from here. And, um, right. and they welcomed me. The pastor came over. Um, he actually was, uh, has kids in Tucson. Um, these people were so welcoming to me. Yeah. Um, I even had lunch with the pastor and his wife and, and the kids. They invited me to go to the subway with them. And, um, and I uh, will always remember that. How, Absolutely. So. And that's what, that's what I'm saying is, is I want our church to be a church, and maybe we are, that anyone who comes to these doors... They may leave thinking, ah, the music wasn't my favorite. Ah, the youth group didn't really make it for me. But I got to tell you what, those people loved on me. They they went out of their way to make me feel welcome. They didn't play favorite. And so we got to ask ourselves as a body of believers. And when I say that, guys, please don't deflect onto the staff or Pastor Lynn or we are cornerstone. So what are you doing? What am I doing when that person comes through the doors that may not look like you or may not have as educated education as you do or may not? Are you still are you getting over that? Or do they notice what James talks about in here? Watch this chapter one, chapter two, verse one. My brethren, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes. And by the way, they, back in the day, I was reading a commentary. It said that there, there's, there's indication that there were actually... So the way you demonstrated your wealth was wearing a lot of rings. They'd wear them on every finger but the middle finger. And, and you just demonstrated your wealth by how many rings you had on. But there were actually retailers that would rent rings. You could actually rent rings. To show this is what I'm worth. This is, this, is, this is me. And notice he says wearing a gold ring. Gold was very valuable back in the day as it is today. And so you would walk into the church, walk into an assembly. And by your looks alone, you would say, look, look at me. And the assembly would recognize that. Um, how, do we show, how do we show our wealth today? Just how do we do it today? This is how they did it. How do we do it? Cars and houses. But what's interesting about that is, I don't know, what, if, if I'm sitting in here and you walk in, I don't know what car you drove into the parking lot. Nor I don't know what house you live in. Watches, purses, jeans, designer clothes. Uh, it, it, guys, what, three, four hundred dollars for a pair of jeans? We're, we're spending money on things that I'm not sure we need to. I was, there's... Gosh, I'm getting off topic here, but look, look at this. I, I picked up this mag. This mag Christmas, you know these things, right? Look at this. This is a crazy, a cozy spot for cats or small dogs. It's a, it's a, it's a Santa's hat that your cat can fit in. Do we need this? Do we really need that? Well, Greg, it's only ten bucks. Yeah, but it's ten bucks you could have spent on something else. Um, I like this one too. This was I found this too. This is another one of those kind of magazines, like Sky Mall or whatever. This is the warming cat bed. Recommended by veterinarians, this bed generates a gentle warmth to soothe older or arthritic, arthritic pets. Really? I don't know. Back on the farm, they used to just shoot them, right? I mean, you're, you know, now we're buying warming beds for them. I don't know. I, I, again, it's, what are we spending our money on? 
Yeah, but they feel the, the, those jeans feel really comfortable. Well, of course they're going to feel comfortable. I hope they do. I was at, uh, I was at Tim Hawkins on Saturday, um, and funny, funny guy. And, but he mentioned going to Scottsdale Fashion Square, remember? Um, so anyway, I took the kids for an overnight, a little staycation up in Scottsdale. We went to Scottsdale Fashion Square. Guys, I got to tell you something. And again, you may work there. You may own a store up there. That's great. It's different up there. It's, it's a different vibe up there. Um, there it's, there's wealth up there. And um, as we went to one store, uh, Brookstone, I think it was, you know, and they got these chairs, right? These massaging chairs. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars. But at the end of the day, they do make you feel good. And so, and so this rich guy comes in. And here's, watch this. There also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes. And he says, but you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes. You say, sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? If the wealthy come into this church, do they get preferential treatment? See, what what James is saying, and here's here's the kicker tonight, guys. The sin isn't the wealth. The sin isn't even where this guy sits. What's the sin? The sin is the church playing favorites. That's the sin. James isn't condemning wealth. James isn't saying if you've got it, flaunt it. That's another issue. But James is saying when those people come in, as opposed to maybe someone who doesn't have a whole lot... You immediately go to the one who has a lot and you say, you sit here, front row VIP. And so let's just ask and answer the question, why do we favor the wealthy? Why do we do that? I don't do it. Uh, Yeah, you do. Why? Why do we do that? And I know we do it because television shows that we do it. Um, I was in New York City last summer in One Direction, the band One Direction. That may mean nothing to you, but to the youth, that is everything. They came out of a hotel and went into a tour bus. You would have thought it was the Beatles. It was a madhouse from youth, for teenage people. R- literally, girls were crying, saying, I just saw One Direction. <laughs> you can't believe it. We favor the wealthy or the populars or the, the superstars. Why? What, what good, what, what, how does it benefit your life? Personally. We do it though. I'm not saying it's right, but uh, there's a subject you were talking about, post-secondary education, yeah. uh, sociology, and the three classes by which people are divided in sociology is power, prestige, and wealth. Uh, Power meaning the ability to make somebody do something they wouldn't otherwise do. Uh, Prestige would be like job title, uh, status you hold, and wealth is just that capital, money, net worth. And I'm I'm not condoning it, but that is sociology works for the masses. And you had the statistics up there for the Arizona homeless yeah. and uh, U.S. homeless. And I, I've seen those statistics before for that, that same class. Yeah. And 
the reason why 1% can be oppressed and it's okay is because the 99% are turning their cheek. So is it so are you saying that it because we favor the wealthy because we don't have to take care of the wealthy because we can um you know you meet someone that's got it together so to speak by title or by status or whatever is it that we can say to that person after a conversation i'm now not responsible for you anymore whereas to the poor person isn't there a feeling of ownership if you will and i'm not saying that in a negative way but it's saying that and i've got to help this person but maybe to the to the reason we favor these people is because we don't feel like we have to help them in fact can't we argue this that who might they help right yeah the reason i want you to sit down front here whale financial whale is because we need a new children's building now guys Please hear me clearly. If you don't think that the staff here appreciate wealthy people coming here, I don't know what drugs you've taken lately. Because poor people don't pay the bills. I mean, I hope I didn't step on toes there, but this doesn't happen because the room is filled with people who can't make rent. This happens by you and me and other people stepping out in faith and saying that 150 bucks a month, that 200 bucks a month, that $10,000 a month is going to God's kingdom. Well, if I'm living on the streets, I can give my heart to God's kingdom. I can't build buildings. So, so I'm not saying that we do this here, but I'm saying the temptation exists to say to the person that walks in that's worth seven figures, what can I do for you? It's, it's very easy to get caught up in that. As opposed to someone walks in and you know, I can love you and I want to love you, but let's be honest, you're not going to build the building. So when push comes to shove and there's only one seat left, why would you get it? As opposed to the person that might just leave if they don't get the preferential treatment. And in our society, the wealthy are used to preferential treatment. They just are. And we, we gladly give it to them. Uh, it, yeah, go ahead. And then I just like to say that in in the first thirty seconds that someone meets someone else, what they do is they sum up everything just based on how they're dressed or how they talk, just to their beliefs, value system. Yeah. Everything is measured in thirty seconds. You yeah. have thirty seconds to make an impression before yeah. someone sizes you up. True, and but why are we so impressed with the wealthy? Well, I don't know. Why do women dress for other women? Because we're always trying to have the newer, the best. It's always a competition. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm in fault of that as the next person. That if I see someone that's worth a lot, I pay closer attention. I don't know if it's if we live through them vicariously. I don't know if it's we're envious. I don't know if we just wonder, boy, what's it like to live in that place? But we do it. We, we go to Beverly Hills and you, you, you take a tour of the stars homes. You don't take a tour of homeless homes or homeless corners of the street. Because, I don't know, we're impressed by that, I guess. These people were impressed by that. 
to the degree that they say to the rich guy, you sit here to the poor guy. They say, if there's a spot in the back, maybe if there's one, go find it. But we're not paying you any attention. Now, here's what James says. He says in verse five, but listen, brethren, didn't God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Isn't the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? He uses an example to say, you can't even believe when you cater to the wealthy, they're going to flip it on you the minute that they feel that they're being disserved and they're going to drag you into court. The poor person is going to drag you into court. Don't they blaspheme in verse 7? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however... You're fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God says you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Look back at verse 8. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Simply put, that doesn't mean um, that we are to be about uh, narcissism. But what that means, guys, is you need to treat people physically and spiritually the way you're treating yourself in other words if you're going to go out and spend x amount on yourself physically to take care of yourself you need to treat your neighbor the same way so if you go buy a 150 pair of jeans and you give five bucks to the salvation army or goodwill you're not treating your neighbor like yourself the, the, the application is, then go buy yourself a $5 pair of jeans. Oh my gosh, when I read that and thought about that, I am so out of whack right now. If I want it, I go get it. Yeah, I can't really afford it, but somehow I'll swing it, make do. Oh, look, um, I got this thing in the mail. You know, a buck 92 buys five Thanksgiving dinners at the, you know, at the Phoenix Rescue Mission. Yeah, I don't know if I can afford that. Are you kidding me? Treat your neighbor the way you would treat yourself. So the question I'm asking myself tonight is, how am I living? And if I'm living good, then I need to treat my neighbor like that. Which means if my neighbor's already living good, great. But to the neighbor that's not living good, I need to do my part. Look at these passages one more time with the PowerPoint. Um. In Psalm 41, how blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in a day of trouble. He who mocks the poor taunts his maker. He who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. He who shuts an ear or his ear as the cry of the poor will also cry himself and you will not be answered. Proverbs 28, he who gives to the poor will never want. But he who shuts his eye will have many curses. Open your mouth Judge righteously and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. Time and time and time again, we're told to do this. And the, I guess the, the conclusion is, I can't play favorites. I was going to show you a video, we ran out of time, but, but a, a, a young college student over in a rich college over in SoCal, a uh, rich Christian college over in SoCal, um, was going there and he heard a pastor speaking one time and, he, and he, the pastor said, um, uh, you know, basically go out and, 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 and do this, be fearless for your faith, you know. So this, so this kid uh, decided, how can I do this? How can I, how can I serve, here, listen to these messages and go back to my dorm room and not do anything? 
So he said to his buddy, he said, I want to go live on the streets for six months. Uh, They called it the Under the Overpass Project. He wrote a book on it, I believe. And so he and his buddy went out and lived on the streets for six months. One of the places they lived was right here in Phoenix. And they just traveled. They, they, they got dropped off with a guitar, a couple of guitars and a duffel bag of clothes. And that was it. And they just, they lived for six months on whatever they could. And the, the rules were basically, they couldn't, they couldn't go back to, to their home base and, and go to their ATM, etc. They had to live on the streets, whatever that meant. One of the stories he tells in, in this video clip that I saw was he, he and his buddy were outside on a church parking lot here in Phoenix somewhere, didn't name the church. And he said it was a Saturday morning and they were about to have a breakfast at this church. A gentleman, an older gentleman came out and saw them spending the night on the park in the parking lot in, in plain view of kind of the entryway. And the older man went to the person, to these two younger homeless looking guys and said, you need to get up and you need to leave now. And the college student said, sir, we'll leave. We don't want to trespass. We'll leave. But can you answer me why? Why do we need to leave? And the guy with the, with the smell of bacon and pancakes cooking in the air, the guy said, because you're, you're not welcome here. Church parking lot somewhere here in Phoenix. He had no idea these two guys were from a fairly wealthy college in Southern California. And they were doing this project. I just thought there were a couple of homeless guys. And he said, you're not welcome here. They showed a picture of him and his buddy at the front gate of another church. And, the, and the, 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 there was a gate around the church that was locked. And he said, Jesus says, you know, all you enter, you know. And he said, we can't even get in. Because the, the gate's locked. Come through the, you know, knock on the door shall be open. And you say, we can't even get in because the, we can't get to the place where we're supposed to get saved. He said, Some, we got it. We got to figure this out, guys. Because the poor aren't going away. And clearly from scripture, God's heart is for the disenfranchised. So we got to figure this out. This side of heaven. Because guess what? When we get to heaven, there are no classes. There are no poor people in heaven. There's no need for Phoenix Rescue Mission in heaven. There's no need for Goodwill or Salvation Army in heaven. Praise God for that. In fact, God will take the poor people, I think, and say, I'm going to blow your mind. With a roof over your head and food to eat as much as you want, go stuff yourselves. Because they'll appreciate it. So the time to serve people, the time to not play favorites, the time when anyone comes through those doors and to embrace them with open arms wherever, whatever walk of life they've come from is now. About five years ago or so, um, I was on staff at another church and this guy came through our doors and older guy, 50s or 60s or so, and just smelled like he hadn't had a shower for months. Admittedly, he was homeless, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, Charlie showed up. Charlie then said, uh, you know, I just, I don't know what to do here, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I got in my car. And I said, Charlie, I don't know. I don't have any money to give you, but I can drive you back to my house, give you a shower. And so that's what I did. And that was risky enough because I'm in the car with a homeless guy and, you know, so be it, right? And we get to my house and I gave Charlie a shower. And I don't know if I told you this before, but, but it, all it took, guys... When he came out, he looked 20 years younger, and we talked for a couple of hours, and it was like he was given a new lease on life. 
And it was a shower. So, so lest we think, Greg, you're asking me to do too much. I don't know. I'm asking you to be available. I'm asking you to go home tonight and just say, God, with Thanksgiving coming up, with Christmas coming up, what, what's my role? God, what's my part? I I'm tired of playing favorites. And I know I do it. And I'm going to work on it, God. I'm going to, I'm going to, I want that hundredfold. I'm going to work on it, God. What's, what's my part? And maybe for some of you, you're knee deep in to helping the disenfranchised. Great. But for a lot of us, I think, I think we need to leave tonight and really just ask the question, how do I reconcile the way I treat the disenfranchised with what I just read in James? Something's got to give. And, and, and just gently, guys, this isn't what's going to give. But rather, God's going to bless you and he's going to bless me when we look around us and say, I, I need to do more. Maybe it's five bucks, maybe it's 500 bucks. Maybe it's an hour at Phoenix Rescue, maybe it's 10 hours. Maybe it's inviting someone to your house for Thanksgiving that you wouldn't really naturally be around for Thanksgiving. I love what, didn't, didn't you hear what Pastor Lynn said? I love what Pastor Lynn said, right? Is his Thanksgiving, anyone who doesn't have a home for Thanksgiving, come to our house. I love that. Maybe that could be you this year. Let's pray. God, we don't uh, deserve the grace you've given us. We certainly don't deserve um, uh, all of the trappings and trimmings maybe that some of us are accustomed to. Uh, but we have them. And we're not going to cash them in tomorrow. Uh, I just wonder, God, maybe what could I do with the stuff I have? And I'm not talking necessarily about finances, but what about my time? Now, what about my heart? What about... Um, what about modeling for my kids what it's like to, uh, to, to see someone that's in need and to help them? Uh, Father, what, 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 could, what could we do? What, what could we do to make a difference? I love what we're doing with Angel Tree, Father. And maybe, maybe for some of us, we walked out Sunday morning and thought, next year, I'll do that next year. Maybe, maybe it's this year. Father, maybe for some of us, you're, you, you have us to, to big things in terms of homeless ministries or spending a lot of time downtown or um, maybe moving. And maybe for a lot of us, God, that's, that's, not, that's not where we're at, but, uh, but, but maybe we're being pushed. Father, I don't want to limit it to homeless. Maybe our, our favoritism is our skin color. And God, maybe just in your great, great uh, wisdom and even humor, you're going to have us cross paths with people that we're not real accustomed to and we're going to have to get over it. What a great thing though, God. What a great thing it would be if we really did reconcile our differences and didn't play favorites and weren't impartial or weren't partial. And then God, maybe you were to call us home the next day or the next month or the next year and we heard the words, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. That's our heart, Father. I know that's Lynn's heart here at Cornerstone. Uh, may we embrace that as well. We'll give you the praise, God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thanks, guys. We're off next week, and so we'll see you in two weeks.